and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, motivate and educate others to make the world a better place. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the fabulous Martin Pong. Now, Martin, um, whom I've known actually for, I think it's about a year and a half since speaking with him on one of the uh, the diversity and inclusion panels at a conference, Martin has made some absolute strides as one of the few LGBTQ plus East Asian advocates in the UK. He's recognised by the Financial Times as one of the top 10 global future leaders for representing and championing representation for East Asian and South LGBTQ plus experiences. He talks very, very openly about his experiences growing up as gay and Chinese to raise awareness of the often overlooked LGBTQ plus community. Martin is also the global chair of the LGBTQ plus network and has worked with the UN and the HRC on global corporate initiatives. He also actively supports LGBTQ plus charities such as Stonewall's diversity and um, inclusion role models in empowering and mentoring ethnic minority LGBTQ plus youth. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. And, you know, I've been dying to speak with you because it's actually, it's been a whole year and a half since we actually last spoke and you were fantastic on the millennial panel with the fantastic Clive Myrie speaking. And actually listening to your story really inspired me and I thought it would be fantastic to have you here on the podcast, sharing some of your experiences with our community and with a number of our listeners who are tuning in today. And just so we can kind of get up to speed with, with, with everything that, that you're doing right now, tell us, some about, uh, tell us about some of the projects that you're involved in right now and some of the some of the things that you're championing within the business so i guess aside from the general lgbt work and fame work that i'm doing within work i'm currently working on an initiative to raise awareness of east and southeast asian identities in the uk so um i think in, so in the uk east and southeast asians make up the third largest ethnic group in britain and Right now, we have very little representation in the media. We're not very vocal in the debate. Very few people understand the experience that we we have in the UK. And so I'm working on this little project here to really bring together some of the influential voices from our community to hopefully give a better representation of our lives in the UK, trying to move away from the stereotype that we're shy and obedient, this model minority stereotype, and really reflect these authentic experiences that we're having. And I think, especially in the US, with the success of like Crazy Rich Asians, it only makes sense that the discussion should expand over to the UK. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about this initiative. And if anyone out there wants to support me on this, then please feel free to reach out. Well, I'd definitely be up for supporting you on that initiative. And, you know, everything that you said there is completely true. You know, I think Asian, Chinese communities, you know, actually I read one of your posts on Twitter and you said growing up, 
you know, really the only individual out there who had any kind of resemblance to myself was Gop Wan. And I thought about that and I thought, oh my God, did you know it's exactly the same for me? You know, that really, there is a massive lack of, um, of individuals out there who are any Chinese, Far Eastern, Oriental, um, you know, why, why do you think that is? I think part of it is probably a cultural thing. I think within our communities, going into like media, acting, things, vocations like that, we're not necessarily like encouraged. We were more, I think within the community, we're much more encouraged to strive to be doctors and lawyers and things like that so I think there's a lag in the sense that like a generational lag but hopefully in the future we'll we'll start seeing especially those those in the the next generation starting to engage a bit more with the arts with media and really putting themselves in the limelight so fingers crossed for the future absolutely and you know I, I feel really strongly that our generation and of course we were speaking on the millennial panel I really feel that there is a huge surge towards not only because of social media and digital and the fact that actually it's far easier technically to get voices out there um, but also you know it seems to me that our generation um, is very focused on purpose-led leadership and initiatives and actually putting that purpose a lot of the time before profit why is it important you know but I mean just just going back to um, you know some of your earlier life if you don't mind me me kind of digging a little deeper you know I'm really curious to find out about your story and how you came to be where you are today you know of course you know I know a number of other Chinese um, individuals both friends and in business who are you know up in the northwest obviously we're both based up in the northwest but um, you know tell me kind of how, how did your family come to be here and um you know tell me a little bit about your your experience you know growing up you know the the well I say the young Martin but you are young right now but the even younger Martin uh, <laughs> tell me uh, tell me a little about about your unique story so my parents came over from uh Hong Kong each of them um to study at university they both came to Manchester and as you know Manchester has a quite a relatively large um, Chinese community and that was when they met and then they had me and that was when I guess I was like the son of two immigrant parents um, growing up looking Chinese but in a very in in Manchester where it was predominantly white and I remember just like I learned Cantonese very early on as my like first language and my parents were speaking it to me when I was um when I was a little child but obviously when when I got sent to English speaking school I started having to speak to my friends and my peers in in English and that's when I almost like my Cantonese suffered in a way and I I guess it was it was something I saw like Cantonese was some was a language I spoke at home. It wasn't something that really applied in the, the outside world or this predominantly white world that I was interacting with. And I think very early on, I did see this sort of divide in my identity that I'm, I'm growing up as East Asian and we, we have our different um, traditions at home. But in, in, in the outside world, we speak English, we eat predominantly like British food and things like that. And that was when I really started to understand what it meant growing up as an ethnic minority in, in the UK. I guess that's when during school time is when you get picked on for being for being different. 
and that was really it was it was really young I think it was like six seven and I would bring in like my mum would prepare like food for me to bring in which was more like Chinese and I'd be taking the mick out of and I think because I was going to school every day and this was happening every day it meant that I started associating a lot of negativity with my Chinese identity and looking back on it, it impacted me quite a lot because I had associated like negativity with my Chinese identity and I'd worked very hard to just naturally start pushing or detaching myself from that part of my identity and yeah just looking back now I think throughout high school as well I was very out of touch with my Chinese identity and it was only when I came to university where I met a much more diverse set of people um, that I really started to understand oh this is what like my my heritage my my family traditions these are all like really important things to me and trying to almost like reconnect with that side of me so I guess that was a, a quick overview of how my relationship with my Chinese identity changed as I as I grew up in the UK. Thank you so much for sharing that and do you know I really that resonates with me such a lot. Whilst my story is quite different from yours in that I was adopted by British parents in Hong Kong. So both my parents are both white British. Mum's from the Wirral, dad's from London. My brother and I are both full Chinese, but we never yeah. spoke Chinese. Um, moved to Yorkshire when we were four and six, respectively, um, and essentially grew up in a very, very white school. And I, in fact, actually, when you say, you know, you're picked on and bullied and things like this, I think it's really tough when you're growing up, um, you know, as a child in these kind of environments. Now, whilst there, there were times when I definitely felt the same similarities to yourself, you know, the times where I wished, you know, I wish I was blonde, I wish I had blue eyes, um, you know, I wish I looked like all of these other girls instead of being different. And you kind of, you know, you then have have this really weird, I don't know, you're quite, quite confused. I mean, if it's not confusing enough growing up and going through all of those, you know, yeah. stages of becoming an adult in inverted commas, but also being different, it's, you know, it's really, really tough. And I, you know, your story there, you know, I can completely relate to it, frankly. Clearly, you know, as you then went through that phase and you then went to university, you know, also like I did, you know, actually you're into the, you know, the wide open world and actually, you know, it's much, or at least for me, it was much easier in embracing being different. And clearly you've come out the other side. You've got so many fantastic accolades. You know, you're, you're up there doing your thing, championing everything that you believe in what you're good at. And I think that's just so, so admirable. And so talk to me after the young Martin has kind of, you know, gone to school, you know, thought about identity, you know, being different, everything like that. What happened then after that? And how did you you know, then make it to, you know, where you are now, you know, as a successful businessman? I think a big turning point for me was at university when I I really understood what it felt like to be in a safe and inclusive environment. And it also coincided um, with the time when I really understood what it meant to be LGBT, because that it was almost a time for me to explore my gay identity. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if it if the environment wasn't as inclusive as it was. So it really, it really highlighted the fact that you are impacted so heavily with the people that are around you, and also the like that safety that um, people create 
and taking that into the workplace I think that was one of the very big things that I looked for especially in like an employer when I was starting out looking for jobs and I, I'm, I'm really glad that a lot of large organizations are taking this diversity and inclusion agenda very seriously because it's something that has definitely it it works and I've experienced this firsthand and it does make such a huge impact on people from minority groups and I guess from this it's also taught me that difference is I think when we're young like difference is almost like as we were talking, a point where people can use it against you to attack you, to put you down. But it was this diversity and inclusion agenda and understanding this the importance of diversity and inclusion helped me understand that difference was actually one of my most powerful aspects. And so I think going into the going into the workplace, I really had a sense of understanding that I think it was firstly it was a passion of mine but secondly I felt that I had some sort of responsibility as well like those people around me have taken it up upon themselves to make this a safe environment for me and I felt almost like a responsibility to continue advocating for that and ensuring that that continues and that's what a lot of what drives the diversity inclusion work that I do now um, because I really think it's about helping the next generation and almost like striving together to to a common goal. I couldn't agree more. And on that note, um, and I know we've covered a fair bit of this already, but I did have a couple of questions written down that I wanted to ask you. What does true diversity and inclusion mean to you? And for all of our listeners who are tuning in and for companies that are thinking, hmm, you know, like to look at how we can further our DNI policies and what have you. Um, you know, why is it important? And you know, what does true DNI mean to you? I think true DNI to me is almost like um, it's a responsibility for everyone. I think there are a lot of people from minority groups, both you and I, that are championing this cause. Um, but really, for us to achieve true equality, equal representation, we need everyone to be involved. And I do see it as like, it doesn't have to be a, a, a hundred percent responsibility. I know some people choose to go into DNI as a, as a, as a job, but I do believe that everyone um, has some sort of responsibility to champion for a fair and more equal world. Um, where, pe- where people aren't defined by what colour skin that they have or where they are born or things like that. And everyone has like equal opportunity. And if they work hard, um, then they, they, do, they are able to achieve what, what they set their mind to. So that, I, I think that, that sums up what diversity and inclusion means to me. Well, you summed it up perfectly. And I would like to kind of now ask, um, and I know that you're a, a, a real fan of kind of actually being able to emotionally connect with people and kind of show this vulnerability um, side of yourself and to encourage others to be able to do it. You know, can you kind of talk me through maybe a couple of key pieces that actually others might be able to embrace and 
things that that we can we can maybe take away I guess from from this session as you know maybe even action points you know it'd be great if some of our listeners and you know a number of the execs who I'm sure are tuning in right now thought right do you know what I really I'm going to go and make a difference and I'm going to lead by example I'm going to go back and try and you know kind of further emotionally connect with people and what have you yeah so I, I think you've you've already touched on the first point but I would, I would say like emotionally connecting with people is really is really important I think we've all been in a situation where someone someone is trying to lead a room and they're just like there's nothing behind the words that they're speaking and it's very difficult to follow someone that's not like that it's very uninspiring so I think emotionally connecting with people and the way that you can really do that is by showing humility and also vulnerability and a way that I really like to do that is by sharing parts of my story or sharing my emotions, my feelings. Like as human beings, we, we experience a range of emotions, a range of feelings every day. And I don't think there's any problem sharing those with people because we all feel them. And it's a really good way for people just to connect on like a very basic human level that, yeah, these things are these like this makes me upset or I find this quite tough or like this will be tough guys but we'll we'll try and find ways to make it better for all of us like um it's 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 trying to invigorate a sense of like humanity I think in um what can be sometimes a very soulless or like place that is business if you if you take it the wrong way you've really encompassed that so beautifully you know I love the way you talk about it's quite philosophical the way you speak about it almost you know it's very much kind of you know we are all humans you know at the end of the day we're all flesh and blood and we have all got beating hearts and souls and so actually there's nothing wrong with with scratching below the surface and kind of sharing some of those pieces and you're completely right you know it does you know it allows you to feel that more deep emotional connection and understanding with you know fellow colleagues fellow human being and such and I think it really helps facilitate um, being able to lead with more force and purpose because you know you, you rightly said you know when you show a piece of yourself or you share a piece of your story actually people feel more comfortable with you feel more comfortable that they can also do the same and um, you know ultimately does really inspire better and more positive change. Um, just another couple of quick questions, because I'm so conscious that we've actually been speaking for kind of over 20 minutes already, which is which is incredible. And I could chat to you about this stuff all day. Um, and I want to catch you for a few minutes afterwards as well, because I have a proposition for you. But moving quickly on, just to a couple of other pieces, and we'll call this a lightning round, so we can we can go through some of them quite quickly. I know this is a rather large question to ask, but what to you, because I view you as a very successful individual, and certainly as a millennial leader, you know, you've done such a lot in your time what to you is your secret the secret Chinese source to success I think I've I've really come to accept like my difference and really fully embrace it and I think I'm um, understanding the power in that and the power of me telling my story from my own unique perspective and really understanding and exploring some of the feelings and some of the experiences that I've had um, I think the power of telling my story is really my secret to, 
to my success. And if there was any advice that you would give to your even kind of younger self growing up and everything like that, you know, what advice would you impart? And if there's anyone who is, you know, one of our listeners or many of our listeners who are out there thinking, oh goodness, I'm feeling a little bit lost or alone and what have you, what advice might you give to them and also your younger self if you were to do it all again? So I think as children, we're impressionable and we're really worried about fitting in and being cool. But yeah, it links to my past point. It's about trying to to realise as early as possible in your life that you should be confident who you are, no matter what your difference is. You should really embrace that and be very secure in yourself. I think with the with the rise of like social media and stuff like that, people don't have the same level of confidence that they have because social media is such a, a cruel world out there. And so it's just trying to stay true to yourself and really really be confident in yourself and um, despite all the stuff that's going on around you and really and having faith in yourself that's why I, I tell myself <laughs> excellent and you know I think that's really really good advice um you know I think it's so important to be true to yourself because it takes energy to not be true to yourself as well you know I think you get your best self when you are your most authentic self and finally, are there any specific kind of inspirations that you've had throughout your life? Any heroes or sheroes, as I like to call them, you know, that have been particularly inspirational? Any books or podcasts that you've been listening to that you, you would like to share at all? So, yeah, I think, I think like before we, we, we spoke about some of the role models or people that we saw when we were little and like Gokwan was obviously, it was almost a role model in a sense just because he looked like me and he was like, on the screen, on the big screen. But there have been a lot of people, I think, in my life who have been, who have inspired me in different ways. I take, for example, their like focused on, on specific areas or specific parts of their personality traits. And I think that's, I think that's the, a great approach to have that you, you can, you can almost learn things from anyone. Um, and so I have quite an open mind when it comes to, meeting new people and understanding how different people behave and different people's approaches to life I guess in terms of like my favorite podcasts or shows like there's currently one at the moment which is um called Fresh Off The Boat which has been hugely successful in the US and it's it's something that I've come across now and it follows the story of a Taiwanese American family who um we moved from Washington, D.C., the Chinatown to Orlando, which is mainly a white neighbourhood. And it really follows their day-to-day life of how the child is trying to settle into school and the mum is trying to integrate with the other like housewives on the road and the, the dad is trying to set up a business that's targeted to a predominantly white um, customer base. And I think that the, the interesting part about this show is that it's told from this perspective of the family. And that's re- wow. that's a really rare thing um, for East Asians and Southeast Asians because we're often, for, for East and Southeast Asians, the actors are usually a sidekick or they're like <laughs> a random a random actor here playing there. You, re- you don't really get to feel their perspectives. They're usually used as like the weird funny neighbor the nerdy guy at work <laughs> whereas in the show the characters are probably brought out mm-hmm. and really you really understand their emotions their feelings and you can really understand what the east asian like immigrant experience is like 
It's so true about the sidekick piece as well. It's like that kind of all those tokenism piece. I know I'm laughing, but it is. It's totally true. Uh, I've written that down here, fresh off the boat. So anyone who wants to to have a listen to that podcast, it sounds fantastic. Uh, And I will message you and let you know how I get on with it. I am going to summarize for all our listeners before I thank you very, very much indeed for being here. Um, and say how people can contact you. I've certainly learned a lot from our chat today and would love to have a chat with you off air as well. But some really, really critical pieces of learning from today's session, Um, you know, least of all the kind of the absolute power of difference, the ability to actually be confident and stay true to yourself and to your face and how you're feeling. And also to, to kind of really be, be quite you know, respectful, I think, of everyone, because actually, you know, it's difficult if you don't come from a, a diverse or, or a minority community per se, to be able to look through the lens of another. So I think, you know, again, Martin's raised some really, really valid points there. If there is anyone who, who's out there who maybe doesn't feel, you know, as safe as they could or would like someone to speak with, you know, please do reach out. Please do get in touch with us. We're both very, very passionate about this cause. We would love to hear from you. I'm sure Martin would be more than happy to have a chat as well about his inspirational story. Do reach out to him on LinkedIn or get in touch with me and I will put you in touch with Martin. I'm going to put everything into the show notes at the end of today's session. Um, www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast. And thank you again very, very much, Martin, for being here with us. It's been really fantastic you sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it was lovely speaking to you too. Thanks, Martin. My name is Leila McKenzie, and you have been listening to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast, with you weekly. Please do tune in, and I will look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. Thanks so much. Bye now. Mm-hmm.